Uh, thank you, team, by the way. Yes? Uh, so that, w- that was great to just uh, kind of sit back and enjoy um, my lovely, lovely group singing through the coffin. I love it. Uh, as Philip said, Cliff and Christina will be glorifying God uh, for his creation today uh, in, in Hawaii. Um, so it is my honor to walk us through God's word today, specifically Psalm 119. We won't be reading the entire passage uh, because we would be here a while. As uh, some of you know, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, For learning purposes, I'd like to go ahead and just share the themes or admonitions I want us to look for in the scripture today. Um, So it is this, be obsessed with what is good for you, be allergic to what is bad for you. Let's go ahead and say those together. First, be obsessed with what is good for you, be allergic to to what is bad for you. We'll get more detailed, we'll get more kind of theologically clear about what we mean by that as we progress today, but I want us to see those two admonitions as driving forces of what we'll discuss today. Hopefully you will see these as straightforward concepts that you can keep with you today, this week, throughout your life, as you become thoughtful about what to put into your mind and what to avoid. Last week we had VBS uh, and we had a great time. Uh, the kids had a great time. I think the leaders had a better time, right? Uh, Gary Asphalt got to spend his time making mangers and crosses out of wood. Uh, Patty Asphalt and Lisa Gardner brought great Bible stories. Uh, Christina Wools tricked us all eat to, into eating fish sauce, which is basically uh, sardines. Um, Cliff and I just got to have fun playing uh, some, some Thailand games with the kids. Patty and Aaron Stream uh, were in charge of the food time, and so they kind of took that as a way to expose kids to Thai cuisine, right? So uh, I snuck a few bites here and there, absolutely loved it. Uh, Jackson, my eight-year-old, absolutely loved it. My six-year-old Isaac, absolutely loved it. And then my, my, my third son, Ezra, walks up to snack time, and I go, no! <laughs> now, some of you know, uh, as we clarify, the uh, leaders here are uh, absolutely awesome. They are always on top of how to help Ezra. Uh, This is just kind of my first instinct anytime he's around food at all, right? Uh, So some of you know uh, he's on a very strict diet. He has been his whole life, so that's kind of my motto, right, is I scream no first when he's around food, then breathe and actually analyze uh, if it will actually kill him. At age three, uh, if you offer my son uh, something he's not supposed to have, Lately, he's, he's been doing this thing, which is crazy. He says, no thanks, I'm allergic, I can't. Um, that was pretty intense the first time I heard him say that. Um, it's a set of truth we've been indoctrinating him with for as long as he knows, um, but it was definitely surreal to hear it come out of his mouth. Let's be clear, it would have been true even if he didn't say it even if he didn't recognize it. He is, in fact, allergic. Or maybe a better term is intolerant, and he will have um, an adverse reaction when he has food that he shouldn't have. But in that moment, in that moment I heard him articulate it, he owned that truth. He so confidently offered his abstinence, it was as if he knew he would be much happier abstaining from that temporary gratification being input into his digestive system. In addition to uh, this kind of strange self-awareness for a three-year-old, 
Uh, he also delights in things the most three-year-olds don't delight in, right? So you'll hear him ask, Mom, can I have some more lamb? Yes, peas, carrots, right? But it gets weird, right? Mom, can I have more, some, some more kombucha? You guys are like, what, what is kombucha? Mom, can I, can I have some more kefir, right? These are not normal things uh, for people to hear their three-year-olds asking for. And yet, you see, uh, for almost his entire existence on this planet, the presence of nutritious food and the absence of junk food has been his reality. The result, for the most part, he's a kid that begs for the things that are good for him, for him and he abstains from the things that will harm him. Let me say that again so we see the point of this analogy. He begs for the things that are good for him. He abstains from the things that will harm him. Again, for the most part, he is human. He is three. So what is the purpose of this illustration? We reiterate two of the core concepts of Psalm 119. Be obsessed with what is good for you. Recognize you are allergic to what is bad for you. We read again verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? What's the strategy? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. John Piper's main point in his sermon on Psalm 119 is that there's basically two ways of looking at life. They sound opposite, uh, but really they're two ways of describing the same thing. One is that life is about finding pure happiness and being completely connected to God. And that is true. That is the purpose of life. Amen? The other side is that life is about being completely freed from sin. This is definitely true. We see that life is about running to God and that sin is about running away from God. So obviously, if we're running away from sin, then logically, it should be for the sake of running to God. Another way of looking at this is that connectedness connectedness to God should lead to a result of being far away from sin, while being far away from God will most likely look like being connected to sin. Let's look at an example of how these two themes get connected in our lives. Uh, At age 23, uh, I'm in church, and I I kind of voice some dissatisfaction in my walk with Christ. So the pastor asked me if we could get together for some coffee uh, and talk through some of my doubts. So we got together, and he patiently listened to my doubts about God as I brought up things like the problem of evil, right? Questions like, if God is so good, Why is there so much evil in the world? So much suffering, so much sadness for people that are oppressed every day of their lives by governments, by poverty, by extremist groups, by abusive parents. And he sat there so patiently and listened to me vent about God and how I didn't understand why he did the things that he did. Then when I was done, he paused very patiently and asked with confidence, So how often are you looking at pornography? I obviously didn't see that coming. I was a little shocked, a little embarrassed, maybe a little bit angry. See, I'd been on stage leading people in worship since I was 15 years old. I'd led people to Christ. People had told me God spoke to them through my singing. And I don't know if I'd ever been asked about a struggle with pornography before. I stumbled around an answer, tried to get back to what I was here for, right? 
I want to know, where is God in the world? Why isn't he showing himself to me? This guy has the nerve to ignore my questions, the important question, and accuse me of being addicted to pornography. Months later, I would admit to myself and then to him, he was right about why I had been questioning God. You see, these two opposite worlds of knowing God intimately and avoiding wrongdoing, they're really two sides of the same coin. If you are completely enraptured by God, by his beauty, by his power, by his majesty, the creative genius, the love, the mercy, the grace, the shield, the fortress, I could go on about the attributes of God, then you wouldn't feel the desire to stoop to the level of gratification in something as basic, as trivial, as sin. On the other side of the coin, Romans 8 tells us that if you begin to listen to the voices of the flesh, if you have the mind of the flesh, then the logic of the flesh will make complete sense to you, and you will cease to understand the mind of God. From time to time, I find myself thinking things like, I don't really understand what God's doing here. His ways don't make sense to me. And I need to get to a place where I see these moments as a red flag, a red flag to analyze what have you been thinking about. Because, you see, if you see the, the culture's current logic as logical, and you see God's biblical logic as not making sense, there's a strong possibility you've been listening to the voices of the world a lot more than you've been listening to the voices of God, of the Scripture. So I want us to ask that question of ourselves. What voices have you been listening to the most? It is clear that David saw this connection between the obsession with Scripture and abstinence from sin. He says, I meditate on your words day and night. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Verse 11 again, thy word I have hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God. If I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind, then I will not see a reason to find delight in sin. My delight is in the Lord, David says, and I will meditate on his words day and night. Again, look at the logic of 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? What's the strategy? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Remember, sin, it's a departure from God, a strain from God, a strain uh, and a separation from God's mind, from his presence, from his system, his logic. Sin includes what we say, do, or think in a way that's in in violation of, of God's law, right? Sin includes both things you shouldn't have done, and yet you did it. We call that sins of commission, and things you should have done, what we call sins of omission. So when we read Psalm 119, we have to see both of those there. We should understand David isn't just saying, hey, I memorized scriptures, so I'll remember not to look at pretty women on the rooftops anymore. Although that's probably one of the purposes of the scripture. He's saying he memorizes scripture and stores it there as a reminder that when scripture is present, there's no need to wander from God. That is where happiness exists. There is nothing, let's get this, there is nothing that the world has to offer that is more satisfying than God. 
We've got to get this concept because it's very important for people who spend their time in places like this, right? And religious groups like the church. You can abstain from sin. You can abstain from homosexuality, homosexuality, sexual immorality, from pride, from gossip, from jealousy. You can make it clear, hey, I'm not one of those people. You can get rid of these sins. And yet, if you don't fill your time with God, you've wasted your time. If you avoid sinful thoughts, but you aren't thinking about God, really, let's be honest, what have you gained? If this is your life, if you avoid the world and you don't get God either, I think the world laughs at you. And I think God cries for you. Because you have nothing. Happiness has always been very important to me. Satisfaction, right? I've longed to feel satisfied. As far back as I can remember, I've almost had this kind of hedonistic drive to maximize pleasure, to spend my time pursuing only the absolute best experiences the world has to offer. At age 32, uh, which makes me seem like a baby to some in this room, uh, although I think God's packed quite a bit into those years, I compare the times I've been most satisfied in my life with the times I've been least satisfied. And the most significant variable that continues to be present over and over again in my times of satisfaction, it's closeness to God. Specifically, closeness to God as he manifests himself through his word. As I intake scripture, as I intake sermons and Bible verses, as I surround myself with people who want to talk about God's work in their lives. It is these times that I am most satisfied, most delighted, most full of joy. The writer of Psalm 119, he agrees with this conclusion. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times, verse 20 says. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. I look at the course of my life, and without question, I offer these promises in confidence to those who are skeptics, to those who haven't felt like they've seen God in the world, to those who are desperately running after the American dream, the right to pursue happiness. And you run and you run and you chase and you chase and everything you grasp at for satisfaction it vanishes as soon as you've grasped it. I've pursued happiness in every manner possible. I've pursued it in ice cream, you know what I'm saying? Eventually, though, you're scraping the bottom of the carton and it's gone. Why is the ice cream gone, Right? I've pursued happiness in alcohol. But no matter how much you drink to perpetuate that euphoria, to create distance from the pains of the world, eventually your synapses, they're going to start firing again. And reality sets back in. And let me tell you, if there was dissatisfaction before you left on your little mental vacation, it's going to be there. It'll be waiting for you. And now you've added a headache. Now you've added toxins to the dissatisfaction. I've looked for satisfaction in relationships and making memories and athletic competition and helping other people. And none of those things, 
on the no-no list, right? But even if they're not bad, even if most of those things can be a blessing from God, they're still not it. They're not the it we've been looking for. There's a reason that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Be obsessed with God. And as you are, you'll look at everything else and say, no thanks, I'm allergic. I have this adverse reaction when I partake of sin. I have a reaction that is not in my best interest. It's not in my loved one's best interest. It's not beneficial to society. I'm allergic to it. I have this allergic reaction and my pride gets all puffed up. It gets swollen and I can't stop it. And then my wonder, it starts malfunctioning, right? It starts craving the very things that will destroy it. So no thank you. I don't want any. I'll stick to the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. God will be my food. Be obsessed with God and his word, which reveals his nature. It will make you happy. It will bring social justice. It will make you wise. It will make you of use to the world. Be allergic to sin. Whether you believe it or not in that moment, it will destroy you. It will turn you into a selfish tornado that damages everything in your wake. Psalm 119 is clear. There's two pictures, one coin, daily, hourly, constantly, without ceasing, meditate on the word of God. And as your system of logic is transformed by the renewing of your mind, every other issue, it starts to be put in its proper perspective. Verse 163 says, I hate and abhor falsehood but I love your law. Before we get much further, uh, we should clarify something about this sermon, about this passage, about this approach to life. If we aren't careful, we could kind of misinterpret the flow here. We could misinterpret our two points as this momentum that we create as humans, as people. We could misinterpret and believe that we can just choose to tell ourselves, hey, I'm allergic to sin. I'm going to work hard at avoiding it. We could just misinterpret and believe that we can just convince ourselves to be obsessed with things that are good for us. If that was the flow of thought, we would be missing the source of the work that is done. I do not believe we do this work. I do not believe that the passage conveys that we do this work. The Bible does this work. Stay with me. The Word of God does this work. The working of the Holy Spirit through God-breathed words of the Scripture does the work. Here's the flow of verse 56. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. That's a strange way to say that. Let's see that again. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Can you imagine American athletes speaking that way? No. They say, hey, we worked hard for this. We won because we were working real hard for this. The writer of the psalm says, this blessing, it fell to me. After God led me to spend time in the scripture, I got addicted to scripture. Eventually, I started seeing this miracle happen. After hours, after days, after year, after year in the scripture, I started seeing this miracle that I was keeping his laws. His rules, his commandments, his laws, his legislation, they became not some arbitrary list 
that I followed out of duty, out of fear of punishment. That's not why I follow. I follow because I delight in them. You can't work real hard at wanting to become a better person and hope to see results. It won't work. You can't work real hard at avoiding sin with a mind over matter trick of acting like you're allergic to it and hope to win victory over that. That's not the formula. Uh, I'm sure uh, if you're like me, you've tried that formula. I'll just do this myself. I will defeat sin by myself. So if we're looking for application from this sermon today, if we're looking for what we're supposed to take home, if we're looking for what your job is after I've attempted to do my job this morning, your job is this, your homework is this. Step one, go home today, pray through something like what we call the Romans Road or other scriptures that are kind of centered around what we call this plan of salvation. And I want you to do it as if you've never heard the gospel before. I want you to go home and pray through the scripture as if you're not truly sure you've been a Christian before. Give yourself that as a possibility. That possibility was given to me at age 23. Because if you don't find the inspired words of God as something you want to be obsessed with, you should give yourself just the possibility that you've never known God. Maybe you've known him culturally through being American Maybe you've known him through being at church, through being in a Christian family, through being on stage in church your whole life. That was my story up until about age 23. When someone had the nerve to say, you know, you seem to be looking for truth in a lot of different places, but through what's coming out of your mouth, I'd have to guess you've never read the Bible before. Now, that was pretty insulting considering the fact that I'd probably read it through 10 times completely by that time. Something was completely different about how I'd been reading the Bible before age 23 and after. Now, let me be clear. I've been a nerd a long time, right? I'm the son of two teachers. Uh, I majored in English. I've taught English for 10 years. Uh, I can give you a lot of techniques to infer meaning from the text, in this case, the Bible. I can teach you how to find clues to determine the author's intent behind a text, in this case, the Bible. I know how to read and understand the meaning of a text. But only the Holy Spirit can make you love the meaning of the Bible. Only the renewing of your mind through the Holy Spirit can make you long to love the author's intent behind the words of the Bible. Learning the details of the Bible, being uh, great at what's that game, Bible trivia, right? Knowing all the answers, that will not change you as a person. Meditating on the truths and falling in love with them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that will change you. So step one is go home, pray through these scriptures that are meant for explaining saving faith. And then begin step two. Take a passage and pour over it again and again and again, like Gary Asphalt did with Uh, the book of James for, I think it was something like a year, right? Five chapters, a few pages, over and over again, until he saw it was beginning to change him. That's what Psalms 119 is promising. You will meditate on something in life. You will spend your time thinking about something over and over and over. If you think about 
finances over and over like I'm uh, prone to, you will find yourself obsessed with financial issues. It will consume your thoughts. Every financial loss will have you stressed out. Every financial gain will have you strategizing. How do I gain more? You will know what you love by analyzing what you think about most. So I want us to do that right now in your inserts that you have. I want you to answer these questions. What do you think about most? If someone looked at a transcript of your daily thoughts, what would they assume about what you love most? Take a moment, write down some thoughts. If you meditate on the word of God over and over within the context of being saved, within the context of being a Christian, within the context of having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, the Holy Spirit will renew your mind. And you will slowly begin to see a new person. You will slowly begin to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your speech, and in your actions. You will begin to see God winning these battles with sin, these battles in your heart, as you begin to love him more than you love sin. How does he do it? What's his strategy for renewing our minds? It's the same strategy. It's the scripture. It's through reading, hearing, memorizing, meditating on the words written through the inspiration of God that we begin to think more like God than we do like mankind. It's pretty logical, right? Can we, can we please remember this tonight, tomorrow, as we go to, through this homework assignment? Go home, pick a passage, read it, listen to it, meditate on it, memorize portions of it, build that momentum day after day, hour after hour, and begin to see over months, over years, over decades, right? That's kind of long-term thinking for Americans, I know. We're like, but the quarterly report has to say, right? So think long-term. I guarantee you, you won't regret it. David guarantees you won't regret it. Maybe this is the passage you, you choose, Psalm 119. It's kind of a logical place for you to start. If you are not someone who is generally convinced that the Bible is true, it might be helpful to hear the words of someone who is. If you are in this building today because you're seeking truth or meaning or a reason to wake up in the morning, you might find it helpful to read the words of someone who claims to have found it. If you are here and you believe you've been saved and yet you say, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, but I've tried it and I struggle to see the Bible as relevant. Let me recommend reading Psalm 119 because David sees it as relevant. He says it's so relevant, it's so in tuned with the daily issues he faces that he consults it for every need he has throughout the day. Can you imagine if David had access to the Bible we have today? And the convenience of a smartphone, of a laptop, of a computer with Bible software. Can't you just see him drooling, right? 
all, all giddy like a kid at Christmas. Right? It's just what I wanted. Right? It's got everything, right? Jesus is there. The fulfillment of the prophecies, the answer to all our longings. And I can read all of it, listen to it, watch it. Think about this. In 2015, I have access to all the God-inspired words from beginning to end. Various translations, commentaries, sermons, text, audio, video, all accessible in my pocket any time of day. And do I demonstrate that I am obsessed in the same manner that David was? I think if I'm honest, most of the time I think the answer has to be no. So that's our homework. Go home and binge on the Bible, on sermons. It's summertime, right? Media binging is advocated, right? A couple of summers ago, Emily and I watched four seasons of Breaking Bad in four weeks, right? And we didn't complain that it was monotonous to watch a 40-minute episode and then another one and another one. Ugh. Right? But it's different, right? TV's different than the Bible. Why? How? Because as I read it, Psalm 119, I'm pretty sure I could replace the concept of Scripture with TV, and it would probably be the way we think today. The computer or the smartphone or the work or food, whatever it is you're obsessed with, you run to it to bring you joy, pleasure, excitement, escape, fulfillment, comfort, mercy, grace. But I want you to ask yourself, honestly, does it deliver what you ask of it? I want us to do that right now. So on on your insert in the bulletin, uh, write out one, two, however many things that you find yourself running to on a regular basis, things you're obsessed with. Next, what I want you to do is think through what you've chosen and what you expect out of it. What is it that you expect to gain from it? Then analyze whether or not it delivers. And to some degree, the answer is probably yes, right? Otherwise, why are you still running into it? But I'd like you to analyze a couple more questions. One, does that sensation last? Because Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Second, I want you to think through, does it benefit you? Does it benefit those around you, humanity itself? Does it benefit uh, and make satisfied God, the creator? So uh, I think you've got kind of this fill-in-the-blank concept here, right? I spend most of my time being obsessed with and list something there. From it, I'm hoping to gain. What, what is the reason we keep running to these things? Be honest. How long does that satisfaction last? What are the consequences? What does that look like for you? Maybe you gain from it. But what happens to your family when you gain? What happens to those around you? Take a second and think through some of these concepts. I've run to a lot of things for satisfaction. The ice cream, right? But eventually, the carton's empty. I'm depressed. The more alcohol I consume, the uglier the next day is. And eventually, right, we're looking at liver cancer, we're looking at heart disease, we're looking at some health effect, possibly relational effects if you don't know how to control yourself. 
while drinking. If you find yourself running to lust for gratification, soon you'll find that it makes you unsatisfied with your spouse. If you're trying to get promoted at work, you're tempted to demean your colleagues. If I'm buying more stuff, now I've got to insure that stuff and protect that stuff and hoard that stuff and hate people who have more stuff and be angry with my children when they break my stuff. Three boys, man, three boys. There is only one obsession that benefits you, those around you, humanity, while bringing glory to God. Be obsessed with knowing God. Meditate on the words he breathed to learn more about him and the wisdom he wants to give you for living in this world and experiencing him forever in heaven. We began with an analogy through uh, my experience with my son Ezra. We said that generally he embraces that he is allergic to sugar, white flour, GMO this, pesticides on that. And when he gets it, when he understands it, he benefits. But you know, he doesn't always get it. He doesn't always understand why other people are allowed to have things, and he's not allowed. He feels like we're keeping him from some sort of happiness. In moments like this, when he asks for bread or cookie or cake, whatever it is, I get on his level. I hold him. I rub his back, this universal uh, idea that we're on the same team. And I say things like, Esther, do you know that daddy loves you? Do you trust daddy? Do you want an ouchy tummy? Do you want to be itchy? That's going to make, make you ouchy tummy. That's going to make you itchy. But your kefir yogurt, your kefir yogurt smoothie, it will make you strong. It will make you smart. Have some more smoothie. And his face that began so angry, so offended, begins to soften. He's still a little hurt. He might still not get it. But he stops asking for what he's allergic to. He goes back to eating the things that are good for him. And you know what? Five minutes later, he's happy again. And the satisfaction with the meal that mommy and daddy have for him, it benefits him. It will make him stronger. It will make him smarter. And eventually, he doesn't even remember that he wanted something that he was allergic to that would have hurt him. Do we trust God? Do we trust him when he says no? That he's saying no for a reason. Do we trust that when he says you can't have that thing that you're drooling over, that he says it because that will hurt you? It will hurt someone else. It will not bring glory to God. And do we trust that what God has for us is better? That his word, his presence, the servanthood he has prepared for us, it is more fulfilling. Being obsessed with his word, meditating on it day and night, it will benefit us. It will benefit our families, our friends, our coworkers, our clients, our bosses, our neighbors, the people in the grocery store, the waitress who takes our order incorrectly, the person who cuts you off on the freeway. It will lead us to the chief end of man to bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. Let's pray. 
God, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, let our souls be consumed with longing for rules, your rules at all times. God, let your testimonies be our delight. God, let them be our counselors. God, lead us in the path of your commandments. Lead us to delight in them. Let this be our comfort, our comfort in our affliction, God, that your promises give us life. Cause us to go home today, God, and read and meditate on your word, on sermons, on commentaries, on theology books, so that we may know you more, so that we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds to the image of your Son, that we might bring glory to your name, that others may want to know you and glorify you, that we might enjoy you on earth and in heaven. It is in Christ's name that we come before you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Amen.